podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Manchester boy Marcus Rashford scores his 100th Manchester United goal the day before his 25th birthday. It's some achievement for a truly admirable young man who's making the most of his talent and his platform, of course. We'll be reflecting on that today, but also, of course, the victory that Marcus's goal gave us won their win over David Moyes' West Ham, a result that leaves Eric Ten Hag's United fifth in the Premier League with a game in hand on two teams above us, Tottenham and Newcastle. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is here as always. After we review Sunday's game, we'll be previewing a big Europa League night in San Sebastian, Spain, with Real Sociedad set to prove tough opponents in the final game of the group stages. In the middle of the show, you'll get your youth loan and women's roundup and we'll be playing Guess the Player again throughout the episode. Our patrons who support the podcast will also get a bonus Q&A at the end of the programme. If you want to hear that and get ad-free episodes earlier than everyone else, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod for more information on that. Jack, let's begin on Marcus Rashford. 100 goals. He turns 25 on the day we're recording this, Monday, 31st of October. It's a fantastic achievement. He's the 22nd United player to get to 100 goals. And interestingly, and I know this because I'm an ancient United history nerd, many years ago uh, when it was Newton, Ethan, United, 100 goals was the point where United, all of United's great goal scorers seemed to stop and get stuck on. So the first great Newton, Eve goal scorer, Joe Cassidy, left on his 100th goal. Uh, then George Wall finished on 100 goals and Sandy Turnbull was the first to go above that and get 101. Brian Robson famously finished on 99 as well. Let's hope that Marcus Rashford doesn't have the same fate, but it's a wonderful achievement. And on the day, on the 85th anniversary of the homegrown record of 4,164 games in a row with the academy graduate in the matchday squad, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It felt, for both personally for Rashford and also for the club, it felt like pretty much the most poignant time that he could have hit this record. You mentioned, obviously, the 85th anniversary of having a homegrown player in every Man United squad. Rashford's birthday being today, as we're recording, the day after the game that he turns 25. You know, it, it felt like a, the right time in some ways. I think if you'd have told me he had, he was probably on, what, like 90 goals at the start of yeah. last season, that it would take him until now to, to hit it, then, you know, that would have been a bit of a shock. But I think... In some ways, I think mainly the academy homegrown record, it's a brilliant day for the club. And so many of those that are on that top goalscorers list for United came through the academy. And Rashford is just the latest in, in that sort of long line. Rashford for me is, he was born four days before me, Marcus Rashford. And so he's always one of those people that I sort of, whenever any, any sort of big milestone is reached in his career, it gives me this big existential dread that like Marcus Rashford is here scoring his 100th Man United goal. And you know my life has turned out quite differently to that. But it's always, I think partly because of that, it's always such a reminder to me of how much he has achieved. I think he's the seventh youngest player to hit 100 goals for United and you know, that list of players that's got there quicker than him or younger than him is a truly elite list of United legends. Yeah. And not only does Marcus Rashford match up with your life, he also matches up almost perfectly with the lifespan of this podcast. We recorded for the first time in January 2016, about a month after that, five or six weeks, uh, as we recorded our eighth episode ever. Marcus Rashford came into the team when Anthony Martial was injured in the warm-up against FC Midtjylland. He scored two goals against Midtjylland and then a further two against Arsenal for the most incredible beginnings for a Manchester United career. 
ranked only alongside probably Wayne Rooney and Federico Makeda. I can't think of any any others quite so remarkable as that as four goals in two games when he wasn't even meant to be in the team. And uh, I think it was this is an appropriate time after his 100th goal to go back and listen to our youthful voices react to his double against Arsenal in Series 1, Episode 8 of the Manchester United Willie Podcast. So we'll have a listen to that now and see if any of our predictions came true. And Marcus Rashford, what a start. I mean, it, it could be it could be that he doesn't go on to become a Manchester United striker, but just wow. He's now the third youngest Manchester United goal scorer in Premier League history behind uh, Welbeck, who also scored. Um, it was good to see him back, especially not winning, but but playing well and being an important player and Federico Makeda. And he's also our sixth highest uh, goal scorer this season which is incredible after uh, after two games it, it really was incredible that first goal went in and um there, there was a i mean there was a big celebration uh, and people people just laughed how could this happen and the second one went in three minutes later uh like overawed by what what it, what achievement and what an incredible story for a player who's been on your sub and then comes in and scores four he looks a real talent i'm not getting too carried away at the end of the day been two games you know and and for me what impressed me most wasn't actually the two goals although especially that second one was a great headed headed finish his general play was really really good he really stretched Arsenal a lot throughout the game Jack first of all it's uh it's it's very strange hearing our voices from then isn't it yeah just a bit <laughs> it you can tell it's been a it's been a while that, <laughs> that we've been doing this podcast I think both from the way our voices sound just naturally but also the sound quality of the production as well yeah and it, it was interesting listening to that. I think, I think we, I think in fact, you, you even say that lucky whatever he goes on to do, this has been the most incredible start, but you picked out various bits of his overall performances where, where it seemed that this was not just a great goal scoring performance. It was a really good display and it was a, it was an incredible week and he has gone on. How, how would you assess how he's gone on since then? Is this the potential? that we expected. I think for me, it, it is from from that moment. This is the best I would have hoped for from that moment after the Arsenal game. If you ask me what I might have hoped for, say after midway through Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time in charge, I might have hoped for even more. But I think after the Arsenal game, this is if, if we knew he was going to score 100 goals before his 25th birthday, we would be very, very pleased with that. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one because I think Rashford is always had this tag, uh, both among United fans and outside, to be fair. I think that they always feel like there should be more to come. And he, there, there's maybe this feeling that he hasn't quite ever reached the heights that we think that he should have. And I, I think in part it's because he's never become a true like global kind of superstar. You know, he's never had that season where he's sort of banging in 30 goals. And, and maybe that's because he has been obviously shoved into the limelight a lot quicker than he, we ever expected. He's, he's had a lot of growing to do as a footballer. I mean, you're right that after the Arsenal game from that first week, 100 goals before your 25th birthday for Man United, you couldn't really ask for that much more than that. I think there, there was that point, like you mentioned, sort of under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where it felt like he was ascending to that sort of next level to become you know, one of the truly great players in the Premier League. And it, he, he hasn't quite reached that. There was but, a t- there was a time when he was compared to Neymar and Mbappe. I, I don't. But he was never. He was never compared to them in the sense of what he was producing at that moment. I think it was. This is no, what he no, yeah, going yeah. I mean, to it was 
Absolutely, yeah. And, and that, I guess that's what I mean is that he's never quite reached those heights. But I mean, if you'd have asked us at the end of, whereas we were recording that episode, you know, if, if we thought Rashford was have 100 goals by his 25th birthday, I don't think I would have said it. You know, I, I think I mentioned in, in that little clip that <laughs> we, we've seen a lot of United players come in and do well and then sort of fade back into the line, the, fade back into the, the doldrums. You mentioned Federico Makeda as one of them, probably the best example, you know, came in saved a, a title bid for Man United and then was pretty much never seen again. And so even, from that standpoint... May, yeah, maybe maybe even more. Adnan Yanazai, who yeah. came in, also had some great goal-scoring performances and then and then sustained it for months and was a brilliant player and looked like he had the world at his feet and he would be at United for, for years yeah. to come. And it obviously d- didn't end up working out for him. And that was, I think, Yanazai was an even fresher memory and fresher example. And that's what maybe some would have feared to happen to Rashford. But... It, and, and I think that even more uh, on this d- day of achievement, it's worth recognising the mental strength it's, it takes for someone like Rashford to c- go through the bad times. Yeah. And he had a bad season last year. And I I think what I find almost remarkable about Rashford as well is that he's obviously, his game has obviously improved a lot since he first burst onto the scene back in 2016. But the the type of game that he plays has stayed remarkably similar. Like his relative strengths are still very, very similar to what they were back then. And so this direct runner that is very, very good cutting in yeah. off that left flank. He still has a very, very deadly shot, but he can be, maybe his decision-making isn't always quite the best. He maybe still was a little bit slight and, you know, he's definitely bulked up since then, but maybe isn't quite, he's not like the strongest player you've ever seen. All of his skills have improved, but in terms of their relative strength to all of the other skills that he has, it, his game has stayed remarkably similar since then which is really unique. You know, so most players change so much from the time when they were, what was he, 18 when he came into the team to, to now? Yeah, yeah, 18. Uh, let's talk about where he goes from here. You spoke about the, not unfulfilled potential, but maybe in certain areas, a lack of improvement where we may have expected it and that he's not transformed from a very good attacker with a certain skill set into a complete forward. That's what he's missing. Now, the goal to make it 100 was his seventh ever header for United, goal scoring header for United. Coming in a week where he'd also scored a header early in the week. And it was a, he missed one earlier in the first half, which was, which he should have scored. So let's, I don't want to get carried away here, but if he can regularly add an aerial threat to his game, which has really been missing and something that Solskjaer spoke about a lot, that it would take him from an incomplete attacker to closer towards a complete forward. Say you add five headers a season onto his goal tally at the moment, which very rarely includes headers. And then you're starting to hit that 20 goal mark almost every season. And that's seriously good. It, it reminds me a little bit of an, another one of those players that hit 100 goals at a younger age than Marcus Rashford in Wayne Rooney. There was, I think it was the 2010-11 season, maybe. There was a season when, when Rooney's heading just kind of bl- blossomed into a really, really good skill. It was the season when he scored two great headers at the San Siro to beat AC Milan in the Champions League. At that point in Rooney's career, it was sort of adding that heading ability was like the last sort of missing piece of him becoming and a complete centre forward and he really elevated himself to a new level and I think Rashford if he can add that to his game it is another huge part of what can take him to the to a next level you're right that it is part of making him into a more complete forward from a relatively 
definitely not one dimensional by any stretch of the imagination, but definitely a, a, a player that has very clear strengths and very clear weaknesses. And I think this would be a big part of rounding out his game. And it would also help him play more successfully as a centre forward, which is something that obviously he's done quite a bit this season. I and mean, he's probably going to need to do more this season, given Martial's injury record and the problems that we have with Ronaldo in the lineup. So it is part of making Rashford better. And I think you mentioned sort of where does he go from here and how does he maybe fulfil that little sort of last little bit of potential that some fans maybe don't think he ever has. And I think it is it's rounding off his game, but primarily it's just it's just consistency. Yeah. Like the 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 issue with Rashford has never been what he can and can't do, sort of his limitations as a footballer. It's just how consistently he can produce it. He's never lost that ability, even in his worst periods as a footballer at United. He's still produced great moments. It's just they need to become normal rather than these moments that are a bit fleeting. Yeah, and he needs, I think we've seen in the past, Rashford be one of United's leading players, or at least leading forwards, and not have a great deal of support around him and have a lot of the goal scoring burden placed on him, which he is having in the very recent past, not the whole season, but in the recent last few weeks. He's going to need some support because what we saw is after that period was burnout and injuries. But I think part of the key is just the, the mentality and the environment which he's in. We know he's under massive pressure. He's the poster boy. I mean, we we all buy into this just when we were speaking about before how he's the academy graduate. He's hit 100 goals on the 85th anniversary and all of this. He's the poster boy of Manchester United. And on top of that, he's the poster boy of, I think it's probably not too much to say of English football, of a, of a kid who plays for his boyhood club, but also uses his platform for to basically to be the people's champion. It's amazing what he does, but it only adds more pressure to him. And I think last season we saw that pressure get too much, and he wasn't. He didn't look like the same kind of happy, grinning Marcus Rashford we saw running away from the goal into the crowd against Midland in 2016, or grinning after he scored two against Arsenal and saying. Then the interviewer saying he scored with his first touch. Yeah, same as Europa. He wasn't like that. I said after the, I think after the, in one of the episodes recently that I'd watched the post-match interview with Rashford and he just looked the happiest and most relaxed I'd seen him. And that was until yesterday after getting his 100th goal, his interview with Sky Sports, he just looked relaxed. And that's just brilliant to see. And again, it's, it's, you cannot overstate how important environment is in a player's performance. In fact, let's, let's play a, a bit of a clip from his Sky interview and then we can carry on talking about him. That's the biggest difference. I have to be more aggressive, you know, when I see the ball in the air, especially when it's hanging like that, like, mm. and I've got to run on the, on the defender. I'm not up so I, early as yeah, well. Yeah, if I jump before him, he's, he's, he's not going to beat me in the air. Yeah. So, to be honest, it's a completely different energy um, around the whole, the, the club and the, the training ground and stuff like that. So, that for a start puts me in a better headspace um, and I just feel really motivated now last year I think I struggled at times um, more just mental things um, not really you know my own performance it was it was other things off the pitch and um, you know um, it's that's the biggest difference yeah Rashford emphasising there the, the mental aspects of things it's so important and I mean we can see it across the team but I think he's probably the best example of it isn't he without a doubt and I don't think it's much of a surprise given the situation that United were in last year, especially under Ralph Ranić, and where we are now. Yeah. There is, and th- this is obviously partly driven by what's happening on the pitch. The fact that United are in a pretty good patch of form, there seems to be progress being made with the team. But 
even before that, you know, in pre-season. And to be fair, even after the Brentford and Brighton disasters at the start of the season, I think this felt like an environment that was a lot more conducive for a lot of these players to thrive. You know, Ranić, as much as last last year it was sort of easy and we did say at the time that, you know, Ranić is coming in and he's shaking things up and this is good. It's going to sort of put, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons in some way and, and, some, and players will hopefully respond to it. Also, I think probably created an atmosphere that wasn't the best for some players. And it seems like Rashford was definitely one of those that kind of suffered in what was a, a not very good sort of time and place to be a, a Man United player. I, I've, I've found it a little bit strange, some of the coverage of Rashford's sort of words there to Sky Sports saying that he wasn't in a good headspace last year. And the the conversation then seems to have gone to, you know, he needs to stop getting involved in all this in like, you know, like you mentioned, it's great work off the pitch, trying to be sort of the people's champion, being involved in politics and all this kind of stuff. Like last year wasn't really when he was primarily involved in that. If anything, that dropped by the wayside a little bit as football became difficult. It was more the season before that when he was mostly involved in trying to do good things off the pitch. Yeah, I, I think more so than, you know, needing to focus purely on football, I thought it was more just a, a very telling sign of how difficult and how bad the environment had got at Old yeah. Trafford last year. And I think if you asked any player that was there, I don't think anyone would have enjoyed that time under Ralph Ranić. Yeah. In terms of his performance overall, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, there was that one header before the one he scored, which was a really good opportunity and he, he didn't. But his overall play, and I think a lot of the movement, you've spoken about his movement a lot in the past and how good it is, but the movement inside coming into the box was some of the yeah. best I've seen from him in, in the last few months. I thought it was really good. And now he's in perfect time to get himself into the England squad, which I think he deserves and would be really big for him. Yes, it would be nice to have a rest, but this is a player who cares about England and you want your players to be happy and him being at the World Cup would make him happy. And as an England fan, I think he's one of our, the country's most useful forwards. Yeah, I, mean, I think it'd be a travesty if he doesn't go to the World Cup. I've, I've stopped trying to, to second guess some of Gareth Southgate's decisions, <laughs> but I, I think if, if you're picking a team on merit especially from recent form. I mean, Marcus Rashford is an absolute shoe-in to be in that squad. And it, I think it'd, it'd be an absolute travesty if he's not not part of England's World Cup squad. Another player, David De Gea, won't be at the World Cup. Left out of Spain's preliminary squad of 55, including five goalkeepers. Uh, he made three Yeah, brilliant... another just ridiculous parts of this World Cup, by the way. Naming a preliminary yeah, squad of 55 players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he made three brilliant saves in this game. One of his not necessarily one of his, it was one of his best, but one of the most, one of the biggest impacts he's had on the team so far this season. Ten Hag called him magnificent and gave him plenty of praise. I think, aside from the quality of saves, which are incredible, and uh, I was at the, I sit in the Stratford end, all those saves were at the other end. So it was even, it's even more nervy when all the action's happening at the other end and you can't really see what's going on. And then suddenly you see this flying man in blue come and poke it away. Uh, it's, it's, it's brilliant. He had a great game. I think he's got a massive six weeks coming up because I think he's underestimated the fact that he won't be at the World Cup, which I think we've known for a while, or I think we've known is likely for a while. It's six weeks and a chance to develop himself in a massive way and stake and work with Ten Hag and his goalkeeping coaches and stake a claim for the long term. United number one spot longer than just this season. And I don't think there's any reason he can't do that. I'm not, I'm not predicting he will suddenly become a great ball player after the World Cup. But he should be looking at that period and thinking, just how good can I get? How how close to the level that Ten Hag wants can I get in this? It's an incredible opportunity for a player of his age, uh, level of experience 
to work on a very particular part of his game without having to get fit during pre-season without the stresses of week-by-week fixtures. I mean, David De Gea, he's about to turn 32 in about a week. And that, I mean, that's not any real age for a goalkeeper. There is still a lot of story to be written in his career. And I think you're right that he now has a big chance to prove himself because he's going to now be you know, United goalkeeper with Ten Hag throughout the World Cup, an opportunity to not only work, get some really sort of intense work done while most of the squad is, is away at the World Cup, but like you said, he's effectively playing for a new contract, playing for his future now. And I think at the start of the season, we were definitely in the camp even before the start of this season that De Gea should have gone and that he would definitely be replaced this time next year. But I mean, the improvement that we've seen in him in the last month or two is suggesting that maybe this sort of new dawn, a new sort of chapter in his United career where he becomes a different style of goalkeeper is possible. I I didn't think it was. I didn't think he had it in him, but his improvement has been really, really stunning in in some ways, to to be honest, because he's just completely transformed the way that he plays on the ball. And it hasn't been something that only happens when United are playing well. It hasn't only been something that's happened when United are leading it. So uh, in all phases, in all times of a game, he has improved so much and maybe is proving that he can mould himself into an Eric Ten Hag goalkeeper. I mean, that decision is going to have to be made, you'd think, by sort of early spring. So De Gea's maybe got four yeah. or five months to prove that he can be Eric Ten Hag's goalkeeper. And you're right, the World Cup break in the middle of a season provides him a really unique opportunity to to prove that he can be that that goalkeeper that, that United need. And you know, like I said, he's only about to turn 32. If, he, you know, if we gave him another, let's say, three or four year contract that only takes you to 35, 36, which is... And it, definitely an age that a goalkeeper can still be at the top of their game for. Yeah. And this isn't to suggest United should be giving him a new contract any time in the very near future. He's got to prove himself and prove he's capable of that. And even if United give him a new contract, it should probably still be on a pay cut, given the ridiculous contract he was handed definitely. to make him the... I still think he maintains his title, but I'm not 100% sure as the world's best paid goalkeeper. But I thought Ten Hag's comments were very interesting and echoed kind of what you said, where... Ten Hag said on the feet for me he has the capabilities as well this season he's progressing from game to game and that part has to do not only with the keeper but it has to do with the ones in front how do you give the keeper options to bring passes in and I think that is that has always made the hair look worse with the ball at his feet because the options in front have been pretty poor that's not a, an excuse he's, his, his on the ball work hasn't been good enough in the past it is definitely getting better I think it's noticeable every week but still the options given, especially in this game by Maguire, uh, Shaw, Dallow and Martinez and the midfielders were still weren't at the level that would make De Gea's life easier and make the team better. So that's definitely going to be one to, to work on. We're going to talk... Uh, and to be on. fair, it's, it's not actually just been with the ball at his feet. He's also been so much yeah. more proactive coming off his line. Came out, there was a very like close one. in the first half. Yeah, yeah right. I, I mean, to be honest, I saw Maguire chasing Ben Rama and thought, oh God, Ben Rama's in. And then saw De Gea coming out and I was so shocked to see him anyway, even thinking about coming out there. I didn't think he would get it, but he judged it perfectly. And uh, and again, that's been a feature of the last sort of six weeks or so. He's done that plenty of times. Yeah. Let's have our first guest to play a clue. It's you... Uh, answering this time and me providing after the clue we'll talk about how United saw the game out the overall performance a little bit about the defence uh, and a bit about Casemiro and Ronaldo I think and then we'll move on to use a load on women's roundup before previewing the Real Sociedad game but time for the first guest to play a clue Jackie ready? Yeah let's do it I joined Manchester United in January 2007 and scored on my debut having played for one mega famous European club in stripes and another 
mega famous European club in hoops. I'll repeat it in a second, but just a reminder of the rules. There's three clues. If you guess after the first clue and get it right, you get three points, two points and, and so on until the final clue. This clue, I joined Manchester United in January 2007 and scored on my debut, having played for one mega famous European club in stripes and another mega famous European club in hoops. The, the first one is deliberately hard. Any any kind of ideas? <laughs> well, so my, my initial thought when you said January 2007 was honestly Nemanja Vidic, but because I, I, I remember him joining, I'm pretty sure in January, and I think his first game was against Wolves in the FA Cup. I remember... I don't know why I have this really distinct memory of watching that, but I think he joined in 2006 rather than 2007. Then, so then I'm trying to sort of I, think. I can't a, comment on that. <laughs> and then I'm trying to think a little bit about the teams, famous teams that play in stripes. The ones that sort of come to mind, Inter Milan really come to mind, as do AC. I know Vidic did play for Inter Milan, but I, I, still, don't, I, I, say, I still think he joined United too soon. You said both of those teams, the, the stripes and the hoops, were before he joined United. Yeah, before. Having played okay. for, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you think it over and we'll we'll carry on talking. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't have any uh, any answers after the first clue, but I've got some some names to sort of keep in okay, mind. Cool. Let's talk about the overall performance. It was a good first half and a poor second half. Is there anything else uh, <laughs> to add on that? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Uh, I, I remember a period like this under Solskjaer where we had a lot of good 45 minutes spells or even shorter than that, as was the case in, in this particular game, I think, but very few good 90 minutes. I think the same the same is true to a lesser extent under Ranić in spring. And I think the same is a little bit true now. It's a it's a matter of several things. Fitness, improving on, in possession further, even though we've done quite well so far. And I think also a reluctance to use the substitutes. So United's tiredness, which I think we saw against West Ham, we can't fix that. Ten Hag didn't even trust Sancho to bring on. He only made two subs in this mad October period. It's pretty, I think that was quite telling. Um, but it wasn't a good, there were good moments in the first half. The second half was pretty poor overall, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I, this was definitely a, a big step down from the level of performances that we've had in, you know, since really since the Man City game, to be honest, and especially since the Newcastle game, even from the, from in the first half where we, we were better, but the tempo was still massively off where, where the level we've set over the last two weeks or so, we were quite sloppy in possession, allowed West Ham, you know, just way too many chances to to play us to play through on the counter attack, and it, it just felt like everything was a little bit disjointed. There's obviously some potentially some personnel reasons for that, you know, Maguire coming in, Ronaldo playing up front, Elanga playing over Anthony, which I think definitely contributed. I think just immediately just switching those players to maybe the others that would have come in, I think would have made a difference. But even without that, United just felt a little bit slow, just off the pace more generally. We did start to exert a bit more control around the time of the goal, actually, in sort of the five minutes or so before Rashford's goal. And then second half, yeah, we really dropped off. And to be honest, in the end, I, I was very relieved to get the win, obviously, and happy. But I, the, I mean, I, I almost came out of that game feeling angry, even though we'd won, because <laughs> the, the the end of the game, we just played so poorly. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely happy after the game. It was a really big win and it was so tense at the end. It was the quality in possession, wasn't it? It was just really poor. In that second half, I think Bruno Fernandes had a difficult time of it. It was it was noticeable actually. I'm not sure this was caught on camera, but as I've said a few times, sit above the tunnel, so obviously you see the players coming down after. He walked off looking pretty angry at full time without clapping the fans as well. Something I've don't think I've ever seen him do actually. While the rest of the team celebrated on the pitch, I thought that was interesting. He didn't have a great game to be fair, 
But yeah, it was that mix of, we we just gave away the ball too much. And that's explainable a bit from tiredness because the team worked very hard and it's a very crammed set of fixtures. But what's the, what's the long-term fix, do you think? Well, I mean, it's difficult because we've seen United play much better in, in possession over the last sort of two or three weeks. And so you think, well, the fix is, you know, it's clearly there in the players. It's just for whatever reason, this was a poor performance. I think a big one was, I mean, Ronaldo's part in it is definitely something because I think it's, it's difficult because Ronaldo does try to come short quite often, but the options he's giving when he comes short are often not, they're not particularly impactful in the game that he's, they don't really drag any defenders out. He's not stretching a team. And so I think that definitely plays a role in it. I think, to be honest, it was also just about better decision-making. There were so many times in the game where United got themselves into decent positions, but various players were, were making poor decisions and that that was really all across the front line. And then that front four, I've rarely seen a United front four look more disjointed and less sort of coherent than that. And it was really, really notable to me that there were so many occasions when they were just completely on a different wavelength to each other, just trying things that were never going to come off or making completely opposite runs to, to what you would expect and seemingly what the player on the ball would expect. And it's obviously a front four that may, maybe played together a few times last season, I guess, but definitely haven't had much time to play together this season under Ten Hag. And I think that was a big, big part of it because it felt like the fullbacks in particular were, were offering us a good amount of work in attack. Dallo was, ev- was everywhere. You know, all over the pitch. He was in the box playing as a striker most of the time that Luke Shaw and Rashford had the ball on the left wing. Shaw himself was yeah. getting forward and providing a good outlet on the left. It felt like just the, every time the ball went into any of those front four, the attack just kind of broke down. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think Anthony was missed because, as, as you mentioned, Dallow's role is really interesting um, and he's improved massively. I've had my doubts about him in the past and I still maintain he still needs to get better but he's really improved and becoming a key player for the team and a really nice interview in the Times this weekend as well where he, he speaks a bit about his personal life was that's really interesting but it's it's difficult because of that role where he comes inside and acts as kind of a well as you said it depends where where United have possession but sometimes as a kind of second number 10 other times as another midfielder sometimes even as a kind of a striker but because he comes in, you need your right winger to be really good on that wing. And Anthony has not been perfect, but he holds that width and gives you some quality. And Alanga didn't have a great game this time around. Anthony with a slight injury, that's why he's missing out. So I, we missed Anthony a lot, or at least we missed a presence on that right wing to make up for Dallow's absence. Yeah, Anthony, Anthony made a massive difference not being in, in the team. I mean, Elanga himself didn't have a great game, was very rarely involved in that first half, but it's, it's more just the profile that Anthony brings. The the ability to have someone who will hold the width when we're in possession and his movement will hold the width really well, but then his movement on the ball, his, his obviously his classic move is to come inside. And I think the, that obviously has its downsides because you don't stretch teams quite so much, but I think the some of the link-up play that Anthony's capable of producing with Bruno Fernandes and whoever's playing at striker it is really notable how much we missed that with Elanga in the team. The, the ball just, it, it just broke down so much. And I think Dallow, his movement, he, like I said, he was everywhere. And when Anthony's on that wing, Anthony can sort of hold down that wing on his own because he's he's quite press resistant on the ball. And so it's quite rare that he's going to get sort of just crowded out, I guess. But Elanga doesn't have that ability. And so when Dallow was making all these runs beyond him, Elanga too often just didn't really have many options. And, and again, the attack would kind of break down as soon as it came yeah. out there. 
it's also just a thing of again, it's a it's a player who his natural position is playing on the right. Elanga is another forward that would prefer to play on the left if given the choice. And I think we're really seeing how much benefit Anthony brings as someone who naturally enjoys playing on that right side and is is suited to, yeah. to doing it. I thought Ronaldo had some some good bits of play, but too much drifting out to the left without purpose or or without the drive back in which Rashford was offering a lot more of when he obviously was starting on the left, but when he was on the left and didn't have the ball or he would be part of the move and then drive into the centre of the box. We didn't see that enough with Ronaldo and then a few big missed chances, including that one header that really had, that had Ronaldo written all over it. That's his typical goal, uh, but he headed over the bar. So not a, another not great game from him, but he did, he did work very hard. But I think a lot of some wasted energy, and, I think. And towards the end, he did, he, he won a few yeah. balls from clearances that did help us get a little bit of respite. Yeah, towards yeah, the end. yeah, definitely. And th- there were some times when he did get himself into some decent positions and was able to receive the ball kind of on the half turn with a defence in front of him, one in the first half that led to a shot from distance early on in the game. I think what frustrates me though about watching Ronaldo at the moment is I don't really understand how a striker can both not really <laughs> ever be in the box when we get into good crossing positions, but also doesn't really add anything in the build-up play either. He's got to get in the box more. That is, I think, my my biggest... Yeah, exactly. To be honest, at this point, I think everyone has accepted that Ronaldo isn't going to be a Martial kind of striker. It's going to come deep. He's going to play on the half turn. He's going to, you know, pop pop it off the midfielders into the wide men, spinning behind. We're not expecting any of that. At this point, what we want Ronaldo to be, and, and we can afford this now because we have improved in possession... United can work the ball into good positions without Ronaldo being involved in the build-up. The other 10 players, it seems like at the moment United are playing well enough, we can get ourselves into good positions just with those 10 players. We just need Ronaldo to be on the end of it. There was a moment in the first time, it was just a couple of minutes before the goal, actually. Rashford and and Shaw combined really nicely down the left-hand side. Shaw went on the overlap. Rashford played a ball to the byline and Shaw went to uh, cross it in. In the box, we had Bruno Fernandes on number 10, Anthony Alanga coming off the opposite wing and Dallow, our right back in the box. But Ronaldo, our striker, was not nowhere near. He was 20 yards behind the play because he tried to come short to get the ball off Rashford to try and then most likely turn and get a shot in on goal. Which, which That movement in itself is fine. But as soon as you know that option yeah. isn't going to happen, spin him behind. You know, like you drag the man out of the box, then get beyond him and make a run into the box and you would have had an easy cutback from Shaw. It happened too many times, even a couple of times he came short to try and get the ball off Maguire. And if he didn't get it, he would just kind of walk away. And, and you just think, well, just because you haven't got the ball doesn't mean that movement is is unnecessary or, or isn't going to have any impact. You might have dra- dragged the player he out. He, he, dragged, if you make, if he, you make, he created a lot of space for Rashford consistently. Yeah. He was very good. Well, and, and the thing is, even if, if you come short and you don't get the ball, you can then make a late run into the box. It's easier to get a bit of space, have some momentum. If, you know, if a cross comes in, you can get your head in it like the the Casemiro one against Everton. You know, you can make that kind of run if you've dropped deep, even if you don't get yeah. the ball. It's That's, I think, my biggest frustration with Ronaldo at the moment is that the one thing we need from him is, is to be that presence in the box and just get his head and his feet on things that come into the box. And he's not yeah. even doing that. We really need to move on, but Martino's great. Again, Maguire here and there. Final few minutes, brilliant. Some great in-the-box defending. Yeah. Before that, pretty average, but it's good. He He's made his first start back and it, it, it was a... A fine performance, and yeah, loads of clean sheets. And I, I think with, with Maguire, sorry, just the last thing when the when the game suits his style, he was very good. 
and that was the last 10 minutes. Yeah, he was definitely. great. He won so many headers. Obviously, that great block right at the end when the game didn't suit his style. He wasn't very good. In the first half, he got beaten on the counter-attack too many times Yeah, because he had too much space behind him to defend. And that's nothing new. We, we've known that about Maguire for a long yeah, time. Yeah, but no goal conceded from open play since the fifth minute at Everton. Six games since then. Uh, we're going to talk about Casemiro. I haven't got time. We'll talk about him in the patron Q&A. There's an interesting stat on him and, and how he's been doing. Final thing, a record in our last 15 games, 11 wins. Two draws, two defeats, scored 25, conceded 13. Six of those 13 coming in one game against probably the best team in the world. And eight clean sheets, more than half of our last 15 games. And that run includes fixtures against City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, Newcastle and a good Real Sociedad team who we're going to talk about after uh, the second guest of player clue and the youth loan and women's roundup. But Jack, second guest of player clue. The first having been, as a reminder, I joined Manchester United in January 2007 and scored on my debut, having played for one mega famous European club in stripes and another mega famous European club in hoops. Okay, before, sec- before you give me the on. next clue, I'm, I'm thinking now that you might have been sneaky and tried to give a player that didn't join United permanently. And so I'm thinking Henrik Larsson is my thought, but I, I want to hear the next clue first. Okay, it's Mike. This might or might not confirm it. I played 106 times for Sweden, scoring 37 goals. <laughs> I'm going to go Henrik Larsson. <laughs> okay, you're correct. Your final clue would have been, I wrapped up my short loan spell at Old Trafford after three months despite Sir Alex Ferguson saying I would have done anything to keep him. So two points for that one. And that means we can go in with a smile on your face at least. I think. <laughs> what, how many points did he get in the first week? One. One, yeah, and I've okay. just got two there. So I've, I'm on three, you're on two, but obviously you've only had one chance to do yeah, it. I have a game in hand. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's hotting up nicely already, even at this <laughs> early stage. Let's go to a youth loan and women's roundup. Manchester United women's winning start to the season continues. Goals from Nikita Paris, Leah Galton and Hayley Ladd made it a comfortable victory at Everton on Sunday. It's five out of five for the Reds and without a single goal conceded as well. It's a pretty remarkable record and one that means Mark Skinner's side are top of the table. Level on points with Arsenal, but ahead on goal difference by just the one. Skinner has described last season's hurt at missing out on the top three, which qualifies you for the Champions League, as driving the team on this time around. This 3-0 win was a patient and organised performance and a deserved win. And it was better than last week's 1-0 win at Leicester, where there was concern over the display, if not the result. Euros winning forward Alessio Russo returned from injury in this game with a 71st minute substitute appearance, which is also good news. Next weekend, United are up against Chelsea. It's a massive game. It's been a really good start to the season, but the team is yet to play a fellow top five side. And after Chelsea, then it's Arsenal, the team in second place. These are the fixtures which define a team's title winning credentials and especially in the WSL when it's only a 22 game season. Win these and United really will be going for the title. Lose and it'll be a big bump back down to earth. In the youth teams, the under-18s drew 2-2 with Newcastle United on Saturday. Goals from Ethan Williams and Adam Berry, both playing regularly at this level for the first time this season. The under-21s were away at Tottenham and managed another dramatic late equaliser, this time through Mark Gerrardo for a 1-1 draw. 
In low news, the standout performer of the week was Ahmad at Sunderland. He's enjoying a, a fruitful loan spell at the Black Cats and drew further praise from their manager, Tony Mowbray, playing a big role in a 1-1 draw against Luton. Tony Mowbray said, Ahmad was amazing today. Amazing. Not just the saves he drew from their keeper, but his intensity and aggression to win the ball back. I trusted him in central midfielder at the end there, which says everything. Really impressive. And that's what he has to do. Two United loanies played against each other. Ethan Laird and Hannibal. Laird for QPR. Hannibal for Birmingham. Birmingham, the side of Hannibal winning 2-0 on Friday night. Hannibal did well assisting, I think, the second goal from memory. Caught a bit of that game and both of them looked good and Hannibal's having a pretty good time at Bournemouth City and it's exactly what he needed, some exposure to regular senior football and, and learning about the mental side of the game as much as uh, the physical or the technical. Also in the Championship, Alvaro Fernandez played 86 minutes for Preston North End in a 2-1 home win against Middlesbrough. Not a great game of football, but Fernandez did okay. And uh, that's about it in front in terms of Lonies. There's a few senior people involved. Dean Henderson had a, a bad time in a 5-0 defeat away to Arsenal. Not his fault, but a bad defeat. And Alex Tellez is in still playing for Sevilla, who are having a really bad season at the moment in La Liga. I think they're either just inside the relegation zone or, or one or two places above, and they had a 1-0 defeat to Real Vallecano this weekend as well. Okay, Real Sociedad on Thursday. The early kickoff on Thursday. It's a massive game. Uh, just a very quick run through of how Real Sociedad doing. They were built. They were beaten by Real Batiste. Two late goals on Sunday. Two 0 defeat. Betis in good form themselves. They sit just above Real Sociedad after that win. La Real now fifth in the table. The same as us. Coincidentally, they have seven wins from twelve games, one draw, and four defeats. And obviously, they have five Europa League wins in addition to that. And we only have four. They have lost their last two in the league, the other being a surprise defeat away at mid-table Valladolid. It's in terms. Let's talk about the game first, and then we'll wrap up with me relishing in the fact I'm about to go to Spain on holiday and enjoy the game. <laughs> the game's going to be difficult. I'm, I'm medium confident. <laughs> we need to win by two goals. Is the long and the short of it? Yeah, I th- it's an, it's a bit of a strange one. I think to gauge sort of my confidence level because. I am quite confident United will win. I'm not so confident we'll win by two goals. I mean, we've only take away the the Sheriff game, the two games against Sheriff. I think the own is the Spurs game the only other game we've won by more than a goal all season. Yeah, the Sheriff game was Tenard's biggest is. win yet, which is uh, yeah. yeah. And you know, there have been very good performances. Been plenty of games where you think United should have run away with it. You know, probably should have beaten. Omnia Nicosia 5 or 6 nil at home probably should have beaten Sheriff 5 or 6 nil at home the other day could have beaten Tottenham 5 or 6 nil at home Newcastle should have probably scored 2 or 3 but it's a lot of you know should have could have would have, I guess with United at the moment and so many of our wins are these sort of narrow victories which doesn't bode well when you need to win by two goals so and the, the other yeah. thing I just keep coming back to is United's record against Spanish teams in Europe is horrifically bad. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? it? It's really bad. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I'm confident that United could go and win there. Two goals is is asking a lot. Laurel are a seriously decent team with a really good record. Uh, I mean, people might remember us playing them again in, in 2020 uh, and beating them 4-0. They've improved quite a lot since then and they were very naive in that game I think they've learned their lesson in fact they even learned their lesson in the game back at Old Trafford where it was a very dull nil-nil draw so yeah I wouldn't expect that again they're a good team it's going to be it's also dependent on United's energy levels worked hard to beat West Ham and there's a few the the injuries all of the minor are just starting to tick up a little bit so will Anthony be available that's going to be important you'd love it if Sancho was informed but he's not will 
will that midfield of Casemiro, Eriksen and Fernandez all start again, having played pretty regularly? Can Dallo stay injury free, given he started every game under Ten Hag? All these th- these things. Will Lindelof be back instead of Maguire? It's it's yeah, it's difficult in terms of the trip. It's gonna. It's our first time, United's first time in San Sebastian, which is in northern Spain in the Basque Country since 2013. Uh, the last match in 2020 was a behind closed doors, but also played in Turin because of ridiculous COVID restrictions at the time. Since we went there in 2013, the stadium, the Anoeta, has been updated, uh, renovated, really apparently improved massively. I shall review that on Thursday night with the athletics track removed. It's it's kind of one of the dream draws, really. Uh, incredible food. Decent weather on the coast, a friendly atmosphere, a team with real local pride, just like United, who have a long history of academy products from the Zubieta Academy, who have a, a good European history. It's just, it should have it all. It's going to be, I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to it. And there'll be about, I think, there's about, we have about 1,900 tickets. I think there'll probably be a couple of hundred travelling without tickets. So just over 2,000 United fans on their way to Northern Spain over the next few days. Yeah, I mean, given obviously in the Europa League, not the Champions League, I think it, it is one of the most attractive draws in terms of the, the trip that you can make, the sort of history behind the club and and a, a very good team as well. So, you know, one of the more competitive teams that you can get to. I mean, it's going to be a great trip. I think you've managed to get a real sort of, just a, such a mixture of places to go and see Harry in this I know, yeah. away, following United away in the Europa League this year, all three completely different kind of destinations and places that all have their own sort of charm to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, that's, it's, it's kind of been the perfect group stage in that sense, especially for these trips when there's less riding on it. On the other hand, is it, that's why I think I'm particularly excited for this one because it's a game as it was in Madrid, but even Madrid, we knew we had, I'm talking about Madrid in February when we played Atleti, even that we knew we had the second leg to come at Old Trafford. This is the first time I think post COVID where we've really had something immediate on the line. And yes, it's not, it's not a place in the competition, but it is something we know we have to go and get there and get a very specific result. And that will make it a real, a bit of a rarity for the group stage and really exciting. So I'm really looking forward to it. But yeah, the variety of places has been, been brilliant. And that's what I've spoke to so many people out there. And I, I wanted to know the reasons why uh, people might've seen me tweeting about this. You might've heard me do some stuff for the official United podcast that I just wanted to ask what, I know why I go. It's for to see places I wouldn't normally see and, and the sense of community and all of that. I wanted to see if that was the same with everyone else. And it, it is. And that's why people love the Europa League because it takes you to places you, you wouldn't normally go. We better wrap up there. Actually, let's have, since it's an important game, let's have a score prediction for the first time in a while from you I first. Think, I think United are going to explode finally under Ten Hag and they're going to win 4-1. You think so? <laughs> yeah. I do. I think it's been brewing, and and it's, this is oh, when it's going to come out. I can't imagine the the just the the joy on Thursday night if that happens <laughs> after a day on the uh, on the Basque beer and pinchos. I, was I'm say, gonna I can't go... imagine what San Sebastian's going to look like if that is what happens. I know. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly a beautiful city, so let's hope we the United support treats it with respect. As I think generally, I think we we do in most places. I'll go. Oh God, if you're being that confident, I'll go. 3-1. I don't really believe it. I think 2-1's more likely. I'll, I'll go 2-1, sorry. Anyway, let's wrap up. Um, for more from us... <laughs> Confidence lasted all of 10 seconds. I know, seconds. I know, but I'm already starting to get a bit nervous. For, for Jack's reaction immediately on the game, 
you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate. I'll be reacting to all four goals that United score. <laughs> you find me on Twitter if you want to have it rubbed in your face exactly how hot. It, I don't think it actually is going to be that hot. It's going to be about 20 degrees, I think. I haven't checked that recently. But if you want to see some pictures from San Sebastian, you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Tate. Sorry, <laughs> the podcast <laughs> itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. We're going to go into a patron Q&A if you want to sign up to be a patron for as little as 37p a week you can go to our Twitter and you can find out information there uh, we're going to talk about transfers and about Casemiro and maybe a bit about yeah a bit about Rashford as well so otherwise we will speak to you on Friday morning hopefully after United have smacked Real Sociedad and gone into the round of 16 straight of the Europa League until then have a great week goodbye Network.